This is the Paycheck to Daycheck Reselling Podcast. I'm Liz. And I'm Ashley. Together, we have been making money online collectively for over 10 years. Our mission is to help you start, learn, and grow a reselling business and to inspire you to turn your paycheck into a daycheck. The world is changing and we want to help you change with it. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Paycheck to Daycheck Reselling Podcast. Today is a very special one. This is our first guest podcast episode, and I am really excited. Today we have Ashley. She's also known as a Revive Tribe. Um, So Ashley, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. Um, I'm Ashley. I've been a full-time reseller for about seven years, give or take, and part-time on and off for about 12. Uh, I specialize in consignment, uh, mostly for fellow resellers. So if you have that death pile, which I call money pile, I will sell it for you. Um, and, but I specialize in mid-range to high-end designer, uh, and it's turned. it was started as a bet and turned into a lucrative business. And my husband cannot believe his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. How did you tell us a little bit about how you got started in reselling? Were you full time right away? Or did you kind of like ease your way into it? Did you start right off the bat with consignment? Or was that something that kind of progressed over time? So um, my growing up, I grew up um, low to middle class. And um, we I had a babysitter that lived across the street from a Salvation Army. And I remember like as a kid, getting thrown into those bins and we would take stuff out of those bins. And I remember one time I found this old lantern and I brought it to this town. I brought it to um, this restaurant that was in our little town. um, And I traded it for a gumball machine. I was like eight years old. And from that moment on, I was like, Oh, I can do this. (laughs) So my whole life I've done it. Um, But I started uh, when my son was about six months old I was sick of sitting home. I could not do it anymore. And um, I said to my husband, I started selling his clothes. And I said, you know what? I, on eBay. And I go, I think, I think I can do this. And he goes, there's no way you're going to make any sort of money selling clothes online. Within six months, I was making close to the same amount as I was making working like a, a regular job. And so then I started going, okay, how can I do this without having to source and it coming out of my pocket. And I was like, why don't I just take like a consignment model, but do it from home. Then I'm home with the kids and I can be a good wife. I can be a present mother. I can kind of have my cake and eat it too. And, and here we are. Um, we process about 600 to 1200 items a month. Um, I have a fulfillment center, um, and a company that packs all of that and employees and it's like a whole, a whole, a whole empire. (laughs) That's amazing. So you started when your son was six months old, right? And how long ago was that? So he is five, but I've been full-time reselling. I would say, I would say I've been doing it seven years because I did it before he was born, but it was like here and there. And then it like progressively turned into full-time very quick once he hit six months old, like within him being about, it was like right on the dot. I was like, okay, no, we're going like, I'm done, done. Like, this is it. I'm going head first. But I was, I would say I was full time before that. Gotcha. Awesome. So the consignment model, you kind of like found, right? Fell into it. Yeah. Um, 
Hampshire and I met this woman who owned a consignment, a consignment furniture store. And she did a whole bunch of buyouts. And I told her what I did. And I said, if you ever find any clothes, like, let me know. And she's like, I do. I get clothes all the time. And so she was kind of like my first big client. And I would get 300, 400 pieces from her every couple months. But a lot of it would be just like stuff she found in storage units or stuff in like abandoned apartments. And a lot of it was like not good stuff, but it, I had to go through that to learn kind of like what I would accept, what I wouldn't accept in the, the knowledge and education that came from that was, I don't know if I would ever have gotten that knowledge had I not done that for her. Yeah. That seems like a really good person to first start like getting your feet wet with, you know, in consignment with how long were you partnered up with her for? So right until I left. So, um, I've been in Florida now two years. Um, we did talk about possibly like her driving things down and things like that. It just hasn't panned out. Um, but she's still like my number one supporter. She'll still like jump on all my posts and be like, I was your OG client and knew that like, it, we were going to have to go through that together. Like things were going to arise and we would figure it out. And she was just totally like on board. So thanks to her, that really was like, wait, I can do this beyond just normal mom and pop. I'm not going to the neighbor's house um, and asking them if they have clothes. I'm going for people who know what to look for, what I want, you know, because they're doing the same thing. And it, it's worked out really well for me. I that's, think that's really good because I've tried myself doing the consignment stuff and we've mainly done it for like friends and family. And one of the um, kind of deals we had was my cousin's husband, he, but he would buy all of those. They're like the auction sites that have just the pallets. They don't have the manifest. You really don't know what you're getting. And he was like, oh, you guys are back in town after RVing full time. You have a house now. You have space. Will you sell this stuff for us? And we were like, what is it? And some of it was um, like expired, those huge ink cartridges, those big drums of ink and then other uh, electronics. And I think we've sold maybe three or four items. So that was definitely not something good for us. But that's why I was so excited for this podcast episode, because I'm really interested in the way that you're doing it, because it seems like it's so much better. You're buying from people that actually know what they're doing, because with reselling, it does take so much time to learn what's good to resell, what's not good. So when you are looking for clients, how do you go about doing that? So when I'm looking for clients, pretty much if somebody reaches out to me, I say, look, I'm not going to take anything that sells under a $40 price point. It's not worth it for you. And it's not worth it for me. My job is to make my clients money. At the end of the day, that is my number one concern is making them money. Even if I'm taking less on the back end, I want them to trust me and I want them to come back. I don't want them to go, oh, I used Revive Tribe and she sucked or, oh, I used Revive Tribe and she didn't sell all my stuff or, oh, I used Revive Tribe and her communication sucked. Um, my number one thing is like, if I don't think that I can sell it, I'm going to be upfront and say, look, if this doesn't move after 90 days, let's touch base and we'll figure it out. We'll rock with it. You know? And I try to keep like, because they're resellers, it kind of like takes away that education element of it where I don't have to educate somebody why their $15 shirt isn't going to make us a lot of money. Um, resellers just have to get it. And so it's kind of taken out a lot of like extra legwork for me, <laughs> um, except for clients who are just like attached to their inventory. Um, 
but it's it's a foolproof system for me because I'm not taking any money out of my business to to go to the thrift store. If it doesn't sell, I give it back to you. There's no loss for me except my time. So going back to something that you said, you mentioned that you usually hang on to the items for, is it about 90 days? So for my reseller clients, I really try to do a rolling contract just because the market is different. As, as resellers, we know that in the fall and leading up to fall, sweaters are going to sell. But if I have sweaters in summer and you send them to me in July, like I'm going to try and keep those. Um, I really do try to keep a rolling contract now that we have a, fulfill a fulfillment center. Um, the fulfillment center just allows for me to just <laughs> take more than I probably should um, and just keep it for as long as I want, which is great because a lot of resellers don't want it back. Um, and at some point, I sometimes will offer like a buyout um, if I think it's like worth waiting for. It is rare that I do that, but um, yeah, I just it's easier for me to just keep a rolling contract because as it sells, it's a nice surprise if I've had it for you know six months and you get a, a forty dollar payout on a out of nowhere, you know. Right. So tell us a little bit more about the contract that you have in place with clients. When I first met you, it was in a Facebook group, actually a reseller Facebook group. And I had just come across this woman at a garage sale and she had bins upon bins upon bins of things. And she was like, so thrilled to meet me that I was a reseller and wanted to like, give me all this stuff to sell for her. And I was so overwhelmed. I had this tiny little apartment and I made this post on the Facebook group and Ashley came into my life <laughs> and helped me so much. So tell us a little bit about how you set up your contracts. There has to be some kind of like controlled chaos here, you know, like there has to be a system in place. Um, luckily I have a brother-in-law that is a lawyer that helped me compose my newest contract before it was just like, I'm only going to do business with people I work with because I learned very early on. If you have a bad feeling about somebody, <laughs> Do not work with them because it will be awful. Um, and before I just kind of went on the honor system, I wasn't a legit business. I was just kind of like, okay, are we going to do this? Are we not? Um, and I would say in the last five years, my business is really formed. So the contract is like eight pages long. It's legit. It's very like legal. <laughs> um, contract really is just in place. And it, it not only gives my my clients a um, kind of like a, okay, we're going to respect each other, but they also know that I'm not messing around. I'm a legit business. I'm insured. Um, I'm registered with the state of Florida. Like that, if you hand somebody a contract, they're immediately like, okay, this is real. Like she's not going to just take my items. So it builds trust. Um, you don't know me and I have to earn your trust. Trust is earned. And um, that contract just is a place is put in place so that you feel comfortable. Um, there, it's legal. Um, it's binding, and it gives you a sense of like, okay, I'm not going to send my thousand dollar items to this woman, and she's going to disappear. So that's really like, if you are going to do consignment, I would say the number one thing to do: have a contract in place always. Um, don't do consignment without a contract because I'm telling you, it will bite you. I know from experience. <laughs> what are like? give us like two or three of the most important things that you think the contract should have included in it. Ooh, Ooh, this is a good one. Um, so, um, the number one thing is, is I require everybody who's sending things in to give me a list of what they're sending in. 
So it has to be numbered. Give me a list of what the items are, what condition they are, and um, if there's any flaws. And if there's flaws, those need, and so when we get those items, we go right down that list. And if there's any discrepancies, we message you right then and say, hey, look, we found this flaw, or hey, look, there's a stain. So we are all on the same page. Um, and that is number one. Number two would be um, if you want to end the contract early, and you want your items back, there is going to be a restocking fee because I'm paying a photographer to lit professionally take photos of all of this stuff. I'm paying now a fulfillment center to house, store, and ship all of your stuff and my time. Um, so if you want those items back, you are going to pay before that contract is over. You are going to pay a restocking fee, and that just helps me keep the lights on and not lose money on your items. You can have them back, but don't, don't do it at the cost of my team because that's not okay. Those are really good points. I think that is a really good start. For oh, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. Sorry. I think that that will give you uh, someone that's looking to get into consignment a good place to start with setting up their own contract and maybe, you know, get some advice from someone that's done it before or like you said, um, an attorney or something like that. Yes. If it wasn't for my brother, I think the contract would not be as good because my first contract was rough. Um, but. Uh, Having it just kind of gives you a sense of like professionalism. Um, and I think when you lead with professionalism, always, um, you kind of just have like the upper hand in every situation because you're going in um, with a little more, uh, not knowledge, but a little more like your shoulders are held a little, a little more high because you are leading with that professionalism. Absolutely. All okay. right. So I have some questions. Um, so when you're talking about the fulfillment center, because this has my wheels turning right now about consignment, uh, but with fulfillment, you say you have a fulfillment service that picks packs and ships just like the Amazon FBA. What platforms are they shipping those items to? Like where do your clients mostly sell on? Um, so I sell on face or I sell on um, Poshmark, Mercari and eBay um, and Facebook marketplace. I have dropped Facebook marketplace place just for the time being, because the fulfillment center only, well, the fulfillment center will do whatever, um, you want them to, but, um, they specialize in eBay, um, and then Poshmark and Mercari. And so it's really nice because they're hooked right up to my eBay and they ship the next day. So it's great because I'm like, Oh, I don't have to worry about these. Um, I do have half of my inventory still at my home because I am transitioning still. Um, but if like a, Item sells on Mercari or Poshmark. I literally just forward them the label and tell them the item number and they ship it. So it's really nice. And they're three hours behind me. They're in Colorado and it's eBliss, by the way. Um, shout out to them. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is not sponsored. Like, I really just love Dave and Lori. Um, it took them, it took me six months to make the decision and four or five meetings with my husband involved for me to be like, okay, let's just do it. So, they were incredibly patient, but, um, they're great. And they're th like I said, they're three hours behind me. So like if orders come in at like my time, five o'clock, I can still send it to them and it might go out the same day. So it's, it's really cool. So my mind is blown by this, <laughs> like this fulfillment center is going to free up so much space in your home. Cause I know that you've stored your inventory in your home for Ever? Is that correct? Or have you had a storage unit? Um, so funny story about that storage unit. Um, I 
storage unit and I felt unsafe because obviously I have two young kids. And I was like, I am not going to be in this rickety, scary fulfillment center with my kids. Like I'm going to get, this is what horror movies are made of. So I set up shelving in that storage unit and paid for it for two months and never went. And my husband's like, are you going to move anything over? And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm done. I'm not doing this. <laughs> hence, hence. That's really funny. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the fulfillment center is going to be a total game changer for you. I think, um, especially having consignment clients. Um, so how did you like come across them? Like, how did you like, how did they come into your life? Instagram. Girl, I'm telling you, I call it, I call it the Graham University. I learned, I have learned more on Instagram about reselling and connection with people than I have any other platform out there. I'm telling you, if you are not using Instagram for your business and you are not on social media platforms, you are doing yourself a disservice because it's all about, you can waste time on social media, but it's all about how you're navigating that. If you set a goal, like I want to connect with three people that I think are going to advance my business, then do that. Don't scroll, you know? Um, but I met them on Instagram. Um, they just kind of like, we, I don't know exactly who connected with who, but they started liking my, my pictures or my, um, my reels. Cause I'm like a real junkie. And, um, I just kind of clicked on their stuff and I was like, what is this? And then it kind of just manifested into what it is now. That's amazing. That is absolutely incredible. That's going to be huge for you, I think. And like you said before, you can probably take on more clients, <laughs> uh, more items than maybe you should. <laughs> That's what my husband said. My husband was like, right now I'm capped. I went from a 1500 square foot office, home office um, in New Hampshire to like a, 150 square feet. And I had double what I had in the 1500 square foot office. I wow. mean, it was busting at the seams. My, my, when I hired my assistant, she walked in and she goes, um, is it always like this? <laughs> I was like, yeah. And so that was also a big drive too. Is like, I don't want my, my assistant to be sitting in this quarter episode of a room and be like, I can't do this anymore. I mean, she's like rolling up her tape measure and like putting things away nicely. And it looks like chaos except her little desk. <laughs> That's really funny. How many items do you think you have? Um, like, in your pipeline, typically like month to month, like listed on each platform, like tell us a little bit about like how, I think you mentioned before how many items you process typically every month, but how many items do you have listed per platform typically every month? Right now we're at about 1800, but I just got a shipment in um, last week. So we'll be past 2000 here in the next couple days. days. Um, once we get it processed and off to the fulfillment center. But um, typically we take in anywhere between 12, uh, 600 to 1200 items a month. And we're selling anywhere between 400 and 650 a month um, items. And that's not including bundles. So yeah, that's amazing. Good for you. That's absolutely incredible. I was sick of um, packing on Monday mornings. My assistant just knew to just come and it would take us two to three hours to pack stuff. And then I was like, okay, it's all going to a fulfillment center. And then I got on whatnot and I just started the cycle all over again for myself. So it's, it's worse. We're keeping our head above water here. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about, um, if something isn't selling as quickly as you would like it to for a client, a client item, What's your process and kind of like pushing that through your pipeline? Sure. 
communication. Number one, do not start dropping prices without talking to your client. Because if that shirt sells, it's got a tag on it for 99 and you sell it for 25 and they're like, whoa, whoa, what is happening? Give them a heads up. They say, look, we've had this for 90 days. It has not moved. We've relisted it this many times. We've dropped the price down to this. What is your minimum that you want to make on it? Just ask. It doesn't hurt to ask. What's going to hurt is when you assume and you make them mad. Um, although it's just a shirt, when you start dropping prices on all of their things, that adds up. Um, you could be cutting $100 to $150 right off the top of their stuff, and they may not be expecting that. So just communicate. Um, and so what I'll do is I'll just I'll reach out to a client and say, look, we've had it for this long. We've dropped it this many times. What do you, what is your expectation with this item? And are you at the point now where you just want me to clear it? If you want me to clear it, we'll drop it and we'll drop it until it goes. Um, and typically most of them are like, yeah, you've already made me enough money on the other items where I don't care so much about these. Let's just get them gone. Most of them don't want it back if they're resellers. Yeah, I know. I've sent you some stuff before and we had that conversation. Uh Good girl. <laughs> Yeah, not too long ago. And I just, I knew I was moving. I did not want those things back. So whatever you need to do, you can sell them. If you can lower the price, that's fine. If you want to donate them and take the tax right off, that's fine too. Whatever, whatever works for you. I will say though, like if you send me like a Valentino dress and I'm just giving examples of items that I currently have in my inventory right now. Like if you send me a Valentino dress or like a high-end designer item, we know that those things are going to sit longer, right? I'm not going to be like, hey, let me sell this for 25 bucks to just move it. Like, no, if you send me a Louis Vuitton, we're going to hold on to that. And we're going to wait. We're going to wait for the right buyer. We're going to wait for the right person. And we'll hold off, especially if it's like a one-off item or custom or, you know, vintage. Like certain things are worth the wait. And I know that um, I specialize in knowing these things. And that's why people come to me to do that. So exactly. A lot of this comes from your experience. And what I really like how you operate is that it's not you don't look at things as like just a bulk box of, of items. You're looking at things like pretty individually, you know, like a Valentino, Valentino dress, for instance, like you said, like you're looking at those items separately from the other items that it, it came in with. And not I think, well, that's what they say, right? Not all items are created equal. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I think like with your experience, that definitely gives you like a huge benefit or huge um, advantage, I guess that's what I meant to say. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, I love this. I can't imagine doing anything else. I told my husband, I said, when the kids go back to school or like go to school full time, I'm not going to work a nine to five job ever again. Like this is it for me. Like I have turned a hobby into a, my passion and my hobby into a career. Not many people can say they do that. So I'm here for it and I'm, I'm in it for the long haul. All right. So how have you been able to grow your consignment business over the last few years? Like give us a couple of specific examples. Instagram. Um, <laughs> so, uh, um, I've had a couple of videos go viral um, that weren't like reseller related. I'm into, I dabble in a lot of things. Um, reselling just happens to be my favorite of them. But um, honestly, I just, I tell people what I do. Um, if you follow me on Instagram or you follow me on any social media platform, you know that that is my number one thing. People are like, how do I grow? How do, how do I tell, how do I line this up? If I want to do it, you know, tell people what you do. You don't know if, your neighbor has a hundred coach bags in her, in her closet. If you don't tell her what you do, you don't know whose grandma 
has vintage Chanel sitting in her closet and doesn't know what to do with it because she doesn't want to carry it because she thinks it's worthless. Tell people what you do. That is how you grow. And that is how you, it's scary. But what's the worst they're going to say? No. Okay. Next. Tell people what you do. That is one advice. Give us like your favorite example of telling someone that you do consignment. Give us your favorite example of how that's worked out well for you. Oh, oh yes. Okay. So this is actually in, in person. I was at a nail salon. Um, and I was talking to this woman and she's like, oh, I've worked for Chanel for 20 years. That's awesome. That's really great. I own an online consignment business where I specialize in mid-range to high-end designer. Have any items in your closet you don't want anymore? And she goes, I do. She brought me a one-of-a-kind Chanel runway bag that sat in my inventory for a year. And when it sold, it sold for $6,500 and I split the profits with her. Oh my God. And it was because for what I did, I had business cards ready to go. And I said, here's my card. And she actually moved to Florida the same time I did. And she dropped like 200 bottles of Chanel perfume off to me. Um, a year ago, I got one of a kind, like Chanel t-shirts and Chanel boxes. And it's just all stuff that the company like gave to her or it was overstock or things like, you know, so I definitely, that was a game changer for me. And that's what switched my brain was like, the least they're going to say is no. And they're not even going to tell you no direct. They're just not going to call you. So it's not going to hurt your feelings. You just won't have that client. So yeah, that was my favorite, um, telling people what I did. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is, that's wild. Holy cow. That was a huge day for me. And that same month I hit my goal um, ever. Uh, my, I was, I wanted to hit 6,000 a month, which seems so, um, small to me now because I surpassed that obviously by a lot, but it's nice to look back and go, wow, like my goal was that. And so if I can do it, anybody can. Um, I remember when I was making 800 bucks a month and thinking I was on top of the world reselling, you know, everybody's business model and, and area of where they're at is different. Do not compare just keep the tunnel vision. You will get there. I promise. Just be persistent. <laughs> That's great advice. <laughs> How do you usually get the word out when you're ready to accept new clients? Instagram reels. <laughs> get on Facebook and TikTok and Instagram. Um, I think between the three, I just surpassed 80,000 followers between the three. Um, and I'll make reels like, oh, guess how much I paid out my clients this month. And yes, it's kind of like a stupid tactic, but it catches people's attention. And they're like, whoa, wait, that's a big number. How do I do that? And so I just make catchy reels and catchy TikToks and people come out of the woodwork. I'll get, when I post those, I'll get anywhere between 50 to a hundred messages that I have to filter through to, to kind of like go, okay, no, this isn't right for me. And I'm picky, but I'm able to be picky now because I put in that hard work and took those clients in the beginning to figure out what works for me and what doesn't talking more about like what works and what doesn't, what would be one of like the biggest mistakes that you made in your consignment journey so far? Not saying no. Um, I am a people pleaser. So somebody will say like, Oh, I have this, I have all of these Lily Pulitzer dresses. Right. And I'll be like, okay. And then they'll be like, but I also have this target brand that is new with tags. Will you take it? And it's like, I don't want to lose the whole, 
Lily Pulitzer thing over here. You know, that's just an example. So yeah, I'll take those. Then I'm like, why did I do that? That's so stupid. Like, I don't want this stuff. So, um, learning to have a backbone is really hard for me as a people pleaser, because I want my customers to come back and I don't want them to be like, Oh, she's too picky, but yeah, um, having a backbone and being able to say no has been the hardest for me, but also the most rewarding now that I'm on the other end of it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm also a people pleaser and I hate disappointing people. So it's really hard for me to say no. My parents did um, the whole antique thing for a long time. That's like how they got their start, like eBay um, way back in the day. But, um, you know, we would have family members constantly or friends would find out what they do. Can you look up this? Like, tell me how much this is worth. Would you sell this for me? Like all these, um, oh my gosh, like vinyl, like records and stuff like that, that they weren't worth anything. And my parents had a hard time saying no as well. And then they accumulated all this stuff that they didn't know what to do with. And it was just, it was a mess for a while until they figured out a good system and how to say no to people. You know, like if you, if you want us to give you an idea of what it's worth, we're happy to do that. But anything beyond, you know, like two hours of research, we charge this amount of money, you know, you have to set standards so you don't get overwhelmed because your time is definitely worth it as well. Yes. Um, I get that a lot, especially from like, especially from like certain family members that now see what I do. Like when I first started, everybody was like, what, you're, you're not going to go back to college. You're not, you're not going to like work a nine to five. And my family didn't really understand it, especially my very Italian dad. At first he was like, okay, this is a hobby. It'll pass. And now like, he's so proud and he beams of me and my mom resells now and my grandmother resells now. And I have a stepsister that resells. And it's been really cool to like, kind of be on the other end of them being like, you're doing what? Um, and now they you know, like, we're so proud, but, um, yeah, I definitely have family members be like, Oh, I have this like 1920s vintage purse that has cigarette holes in it. What's it worth? And I'm like, I love you. Count me out. I'm not your girl. <laughs> Yeah, it's a tough situation to be in for sure. Um, kind of more along those lines, have you ever gotten a box from a client? I mean, you probably don't because of the contract situation that you have set up now, but maybe in the beginning, have you ever gotten a box from a client that wasn't what you kind of expected or thought was going to be? And how did you handle that situation? Um, well, it was in the beginning. Um, and it's, so what happened was, is when I was selling for the clothing or the um, furniture store lady, um, I would blindly take her stuff. So I drive my husband's big lifted truck 40 minutes and go get all of this stuff. And they would be like those industrial garbage bags, like the ones that are like as tall as you, they'd be a hundred pounds each. Um, and I would take 13 or 14 of them home. I'm like driving down the highway with like, thousands of pounds of like garbage clothes in my back of my truck. And I get home and I go through it all, but she hadn't gone through it all either. And so I would be bringing home eight garbage bags worth of stuff, huge ones. And a half of those bags would be viable. It would be sellable. A lot of them would be stained or dirty. And then I'm like washing them and I'm cleaning them and stain treat. And it just ended up not being worth it. So I got smart and I would go through it there. So my husband knew if I was leaving for that client, he was with my son because I didn't have my second child yet. He was going to be with my son for an hour or two hours. And sometimes he'd just come along and I would go through them. And then I'd leave with like a garbage bag and a half versus the whole closet that was made just for me. And that really helped. But I think being stuck with things that you don't want to sell comes from your communication. People don't know unless you tell them, right? So if you are saying like, 
We don't take things that are whole or stained. And if we do, we will sell it, but we're selling it as is. And that will depend on the price. But I think communication, you know, you're going to have people who overlook that one shirt or the, that pair of pants that's missing the tag. Like that's, if you are a reseller, those things happen and that's to be expected. But if you're sending me things that are garbage, that's why I make you send me pictures before you send it to me now. <laughs> so smart. Absolutely. Yeah. When I was starting to get into when we first met, when I started to get into the consignment thing a little bit with that one client, um, she would have me come over to her house. And that way I could kind of see what I was getting instead of she wasn't great with using her cell phone and sending pictures. So I would just go over there. She didn't live too far away and kind of like go through those items and pick out what I wanted at that time. So yeah, definitely, definitely smart to do that. Time is money, right? So if you aren't putting in the communication in the beginning, it's going to cost you time and money later because if they are paying for shipping to get it to you or you're paying a lister and then she's like, Oh, all this stuff has all these stains on it. You know, your photographer, that's your time. You're paying your clients. So time is money. Put in the time in the beginning to set that client up to be successful so that you both can make money. If you're not setting them up properly, you're losing money too. So it does make sense to to kind of have a good process in place so that you can um, be successful and they know what to expect from you as well. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about the platforms that you use. You mentioned that you use eBay, Poshmark, Macari. You were using Facebook Marketplace and kind of like phase them out a little bit. What's your favorite platform to you sell your clients items on? It depends on the month. Um, sometimes eBay where I'm like, yes, full Full sales. Yes. And then, you know, you get a ton of returns and I'm like, eBay can kick rocks this month. Um, but Poshmark has just been consistent for me. I would say for the last five years, like I can just depend on Poshmark to show up. Um, and it's easy. I have automation that like shares and sends offers. And so it's just easy because I don't have to think about it. And I just know it's going to run. Um, eBay, you know, I didn't realize that you can't say, oh, I have to cancel this order because a client, I don't have it. Um, and so that kind of screwed me in the beginning with eBay. Um, but we're, we're back on track. We're rolling. And um, Mercari solid. You just have to know what to put on Mercari. Like, I would say like designer items do okay. But like Nike, American Eagle, those things really do well on Mercari. I think it's a generational thing on Mercari. Um, Poshmark, you have a little bit of everybody. eBay's a little bit of everybody, but I feel like Mercari's kind of a little more, um, it's a little different world over there. And as you guys know, you guys are resellers, but every platform is different. So it's kind of like learning what works and what doesn't, but I would say Poshmark right now. Awesome. Yeah. I totally agree with that. You know, when people say like, oh, Poshmark's dead or eBay's dead or something like that. I have a really hard time buying into that. You know, I think it's a lot about like what you're listing on those platforms. And if you're doing that consistently, like you said, doing your research, um, like Macari, for example, knowing what is going to sell on that platform. If you're not listing the right items on that platform, they're not, they're not going to sell on that platform based on the audience that's looking for those items. If you've ever worked in like cold calling, um, I've done a lot of cold calling jobs when I was younger. It's a numbers game. And reselling, I look at it the same way. It is a numbers game. If you have five items and you have not relisted, relist items. If your platform is dead, yes, you're going to have days. Believe me, I've had days where I don't sell things. I have more volume now, so that that's a rare day for me. And I like almost welcome it sometimes. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. But 
Um, it's a numbers game. If you are not selling, list more. If you and I know that sounds terrible because it's like that positive um, negativity or whatever it's called. But like uh, seriously, when I was having days where I wasn't selling things, I listed more. I relisted things. I spruced up my my inventory. And yes, that's not always going to work. Maybe it's the things you're selling. But if you are not, if a platform is dead, look at what you're doing and figure out what you can change in your business to make it work for you. Um, I have that no excuse mentality, like. If I don't do it, nobody's going to do it for me. So it's, it's up to me. I don't have an employee. You know, I'm not working with coworkers. Like if it's not working, it's because of something I'm doing. Yes, the platform might be dead, but it might also be something that you can change. Right. I think a lot of people um, aren't honest with themselves. They, they're looking for people to commiserate with them. You really need to like reverse engineer what you're doing and, you know, start from the result that you want and reverse engineer all the way back to the beginning of like the things that you're sourcing and how you're spending your time during the day and really be honest with yourself and see, am I really listing as many items per day as I think that I am or want to tell people that I am? Am I really sourcing the best items? You know, am I really cross-listing as many items as I thought I was? And really like break down the numbers and be factual. Like numbers just, they just don't lie, you know, at the end of the day. You know, and that's it too is, um, you know, you see people complain about returns or no sale days and yeah, we've all been there. That is part of the business. It's part of the business, especially if you're just starting. And, you know, when I first started, I would definitely see, you know, more successful resellers than me. And I, I had to not put myself where they are because I'm not there. I have to do my due diligence. I have to go through those crappy bags. I have to see what works for me and what doesn't. Um, and so I say, wherever you are in your business, be the hardest on yourself, no matter where you are in your business, you can be at the top level with 80,000 followers. And you know, you're pushing out 600 items a month. You have to be hard on yourself because nobody else is going to be as a CEO of your own business. Nobody should be as hard on you as yourself. That's it. And that is the key to success. I really do believe that. Wow. I mean, that's, we could just make that the podcast and that would be, that, that sums up everything right there. I think <laughs> truly. <laughs> Um, so tell us about something that you feel has been your biggest success so far in your business. Like hitting goals. Biggest thing was, is when I first started, I didn't really know where I was going because I didn't know what I wanted. And the thing is, is when I got very clear about what I wanted and when I got clear about where I was going and what I wanted out of my business, it changed the game for me. I do a vision board once a month. I have a six month vision board. I have a year vision board. I have a five year vision board. You don't know where you're going unless you know what you want. And so the biggest thing for me is like when I do hit those milestones, it took me years to hit 6,000. I just wanted to hit 6,000 in sales and it was a huge accomplishment. And that's when it, there was almost like a light bulb moment for me when I was like, I'm looking at the $6,000 number every day. It's posted right above my computer. I hit it. Thoughts really do become things. And if you don't have a plan in place, you're going to spin your wheels, get a plan in place, set that goal and don't stop until you get it, get tunnel vision. Nothing else matters outside of that goal. And once you hit it, it's like, okay, I can do this. What's next. And it just, it builds, I even talking about it, it like builds a fire in me to um, have goals like, like the car I have in the driveway vision board, the house I'm in vision board. Like, I know that sounds crazy, but it, it puts things in perspective. I'm like, I have to line these things up in order to get that. 
and it's worked so far. So <laughs> yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree with that. And having been like connected with you for a couple of years now, watching you post that vision board with your vehicle on there and the house on there. And then all of a sudden you're look, you're going to look at that house. I was like, Holy crap, she's doing it. <laughs> oh my God. I need to make myself a vision board. <laughs> it's crazy. It's also believing that you can do it. You know, obviously there are days I wake up and I go, can I do this? You know, I have, I have two kids. I have a husband. Like, do I want to be the wife and the mom that they need? Do I want, I want it. I want it all. And in order to do that, sometimes I do stretch myself out. Then people don't see the nights that I'm working until two, three in the morning while the rest of my family is sleeping. And then my kids are getting up at seven, you know, in the morning and I have to bring them to school and then put on that hat. And like, it can be a lot. And there are days where I have to check in with myself and say, okay, today I just need to be a mom and that's okay. You know, I don't want people to come on and watch this podcast and be like, oh, she's got it all. And how does she do it? Like, it's hard. There are hard days. And there are days where I go until noon and I'm like, wait, did I eat today? You know? So there are days where it's hard. Don't, don't get it twisted and like, be like, oh, she's got it all. Like there are hard days. And I would be lying if I said my husband goes, if my husband wasn't like, why are you doing this? Like, what is this for? You know, and we've had those conversations. So I don't want anybody watching this podcast to be like, oh, I can do it, but it's hard. And, and you will be able to do it, but you have to set, know your boundaries, know your limits and just accept where you're at. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't have kids. Liz doesn't have kids. I can't imagine running my reselling business right now with two little boys, no less. Um, and I know that you mentioned before that your husband travels a lot for work. So you're home with the boys a lot by yourself and you have a good group of people around you. And I think that helps a lot as well. Um, my husband, I will say though, when my husband's home, man, he is a rock star. He works just as, just as much as me, more than me. I would say my husband works more than me. Um, but when he is home and present, I mean, oh, he's my best friend. I love my husband so much. We've been together 10 years in February and I could not do this life without my husband. Like in my soul, like the thought of doing it without him makes me sick. So having him and him completely like being in the back end of my business, like running numbers and stuff sometimes has kind of been like my ultimate secret because my husband just gets business and I don't, I don't get business. I don't get the books, but he's like, Ash try to implement this, this, and this, this month. I don't know how your business works, but like try to do this based on the numbers. And like, he's been my kryptonite and my secret kind of like drive force behind in the backgrounds, because without him, I would not be here. So it definitely is a team effort. Although he does his own thing. Um, we are a team and, um, and that goes with every aspect, parenting house, every, we are a team. So he's my secret. Important to have, people around you that like my strength is not in the numbers and mathematical side either. So it's really important for me to have someone that I can count on and trust to be able to make sense of that for me. And um, I'm more along lines of like the goal setting and I'm, I can push myself to be able to hit those goals and, and, you know, work as hard as I need to, to reach those goals. But the math, I, I can't, I can't, at that. So thank God I have people in my corner that can do that for me as well. You know, and I think it's really important to have people around you that um, balance you out. So whatever your weaknesses are, those can be their strengths. If you could give a reseller that 
maybe is starting out um, in the consignment world, one solid piece of advice, something that would highly benefit them in their journey in consignment, what would it be? Have a contract in place. (laughs) I know we talked about that, but seriously, um, know your worth and it's going to be hard, but figure out what works for your business and what doesn't and what doesn't drop it. No exceptions. Do not make exceptions because it's at the end of the day, you're the one who's going to suffer through that. And you really have to earn your keep. Don't off the bat go, I'm going to do designer items only. Start with the smaller items, build trust. You have to earn that. Um, If I knew what I knew now, I probably would be a lot further along, but I really took those lower end items longer than I probably should have. But I'm so grateful for that time because the knowledge that I learned during that time and the pivots that I had to take during those beginning stages of consignment were game changing for me. Um, So know how to say no and know your worth, but get a contract. Always have a contract and um, insurance, have insurance. Definitely. Thank you so much, Ashley. Please shout yourself out. Where can people find you if they want to follow you? Sure. So I am on Instagram at Revive Tribe underscore consignment. Um, I also am on TikTok and Facebook and um, Poshmark, Mercari, eBay. (laughs) Thank you so much. This advice was absolutely invaluable. If you're looking to get started in consignment or want to, you know, get started in reselling just in general, We really appreciate your time. You are an absolute gem. We love you so much. Thank you for your time. All right, guys, that's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Paycheck to Paycheck Reselling Podcast. Anything we mentioned in this episode will be linked down below in the show notes or description down below. Be sure to share this episode with anyone you think it will help and follow us on social media at P2D Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Keep working towards that day check.